The rancid smell of whale oil pervaded the air and perfumed the purses of New Bedford, Massachusetts, in 1841. When Herman Melville arrived at the wharves in search of work, square-masted whaling ships flew Union Jacks and tricolors alongside boats flying flags from Russia and Spain. But the stars and stripes waved for the largest fleet of whalers in the world. The local sloop, a Kushnet, sailing for the Pacific, gave Melville a place on its crew, and he soon began the expedition that inspired his masterpiece, Moby Dick. While his captain acquired provisions and assembled a crew, the rider strolled along the streets. On slippery cobblestones that sloped down to the river, he passed odd-looking sailors from near and far, dark-skinned men from Cape Verde, blond-haired boys from the Netherlands, swarthy sailors from Portugal, dreaded cannibals from Fiji, tattooed natives from the South Seas, and runaway slaves newly arrived on the Underground Railroad from the South. With time on their hands before their ship set sail and their last prayers at the seamen's Bethel yet unsaid, they roamed the shops, packed their pouches with tobacco, purchased razors, blankets, and mattresses stuffed with straw, stopped at the public houses to down some shots of rum, paid visits to the brothels, and slept at the Swordfish Inn or the Cross Tarpoon. Along the bustling waterfront, hundreds of men toiled on the boats. Cockers, riggers, carpenters, and other craftsmen slogged for adventure, escape, and a share in the profits. Sweat oozed from the pores of the sailors as they offloaded the casks of whale oil that lighted America's homes, lubricated its tools and instruments, and primed its paint and varnish. Salty language flowed from their lips as they lugged the whalebone that corseted and hoop-skirted the women, perfumed the ladies with ambergris, stayed the men's collars, handled the buggy whips and walking sticks, and entertained the children with chess pieces and piano keys. Whale oil was as valuable then as petroleum is now. While the sailors hauled the barrels, the captains inspected their ships. On the top decks they checked the brick furnaces. As soon as the whales were caught, their blubber was burned down until it turned into oil. Squinting up at the crow's nests, the men saw the lookouts high on the masts where sailors at sea could spot the whales. They thrilled recalling the words, "'Thar she blows!' and prayed they had the right answer when they returned from their expeditions. "'What luck! Clean or greasy?' the owners always asked, hoping the bark was slick with oil. As Melville walked along the wharves, he passed blacksmiths, ironmongers, sailmakers, and warehouses filled with supplies." A whaling trip took 500 barrels of fresh water, 50 barrels of salt, 70 barrels of flour, 100 gallons of molasses, 400 pounds of coffee, 400 pounds of sugar, and enough dried apples, pork, rice, beans, beef, butter, cheese, codfish, corn, raisins, potatoes, onions, liquor, tea, and tobacco to satisfy the hunger of twenty-five men for as long as forty-eight months. In addition, a ship needed spermaceti candles, linseed oil, pine board, pine nails, oak nails, gunpowder, copper sheathing, cordage, flags, bricks, lime, cotton, canvas, twine, tar, and paint to keep it seaworthy, harpoon the whales, and, four years later, return with the prize to New Bedford. At the counting houses nearby, clerks perched on high stools and, pencils in hand, leaning over account logs, entered the whalers' expenses and income. At the trading firm on Pleasant Street, 
Whaling owners bought and sold commodities, hedging bets on the future cost of provisions and the price they might get for their goods. Close by at the fresh oyster stand on the wharf, the whalers swallowed the slippery oysters and slurped the juice, joined at lunchtime by men who manufactured steam engines, boilers, sewing machines, candles or leather shoes, who sold insurance or dry goods, served as lawyers, published newspapers, or ran the banks. Heading up from the waterfront and the railroad station built in Egyptian revival style, Melville edged his way along the narrow streets. Pink-cheeked women in horse-drawn carriages rode by, while freed colored men, white men in well-cut suits, and Quakers in dull coats and wide-brimmed hats passed one another on the sidewalks. Inside the granite banks, clerks and officers welcomed dozens of men making deposits and others seeking loans to sow their businesses. In the small wooden shops, the atmosphere bustled with women buying brocades from France, tea leaves from India, and spices from the Middle East. At Polly Johnson's popular store, girls and boys licked whipped cream cakes while the colored owner helped them decide over chewy ginger cookies or candy sticks. In the back of the shop, Frederick Douglass practiced a speech on abolition.